You're listening to The Voice. Benvenuti a Leuven. Leuven, Jürgen. Добро пожаловать в Leuven. Bienvenue à Leuven. Willkommen in Leuven. Leuven에 오신 걸 환영합니다. Welcome in Leuven. Welcome, Leuven. Welcome to this week's show. Um, this is Anita at the microphone. Uh, it's my first official show on this side of the board. So welcome, everyone. I'm super excited about this week's episode. We're going to be talking about very interesting topics. And of course, I'm not alone here at the studio. There's Nicholas with me. Hello, Nicholas. How are you doing? Hi, Anita. Pretty fine. And you? Are you nervous for today? I'm good. Yeah, I'm a bit nervous. It's kind of weird to be to be in control of everything. So how does it feel for you to be on the other side? It feels very strange as well. I was trying to put myself here with all of my notes and it was a bit hard. There's not enough <laughs> space. So yeah, you, you've yeah. got the good spot for today. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy, but I'm also stressed, but it will be fine. I think we'll have fun. So I just wanted to, before moving to the first song, I wanted to um, tell our listeners that uh, they can find our um, our past radio shows on our Spotify uh, channel uh, and also check all our articles on uh, thevoiceleuven.ve or on our Facebook page, The Voice Interna- International Student Publication and Instagram, of course, as well. Um, so I will just go on introducing the first song. Um, we have, I have selected uh, a good old classic that is very hard not to sing along with. So enjoy. Thank you. 
Radio Reloj. 5 de la mañana. No todo lo que es oro brilla. Remedio chino. And we are back. Before moving to the, um, the core part of the show, I think it's worth mentioning a few articles uh, that have been published on the Voice site, which are really interesting, and also some local news. So, what you got for me, Nicholas, since you're the one who selected them? Yes. So, unfortunately, after that very nice song that I was already dancing here because I really like it, and of course it's in Spanish, so I know the lyrics pretty well, and there is a part where they say, like, Me gusta colombiana, me gustas tu, which is like, I like you, well, Colombian girl or something like that. So it was very exciting, I was dancing here. But okay, as I was saying, sadly, the news are not as happy as the song, and the first new, sorry, um, the first article, we, I, I'm already dancing in my mind with the song. <laughs> You can do it, huh? We don't judge you if you do. You yeah, yeah, dance. sorry, sorry. It's just I'm getting used to this side of this studio. <laughs> so we've got different articles for our magazine, and right now there are two new articles that are online. The first one is called On Erasmus Bad in Quarantine. We mentioned a little bit about this article last week, but I will mention some just additional remarks on the topic itself. So first of all, this article discusses the mandatory quarantine for new students that are arriving in Belgium, specifically in Leuven. Personally, I've met a lot of them and sadly they are either in quarantine or they are just afraid of going to normal classes when they can, so they prefer just to follow the different courses on BC Collaborative, I think it's called the tool. Secondly, of course, this article discusses the digital path, so what this implies to use this tool, as well how students feel about it, and if there's been a good engagement so far. And sadly, for non-European students, they've not been able to come to Belgium, and many people have actually cancelled their their programs because they couldn't travel and of course now we are five weeks into the academic year so we have not been able to come and finally it just refers to social activities it mentioned some of the social things that were um, going on here in Leuven but after it was announced that is now orange coat is not the same so it's a bit hard and the second article that is now published is called Small Scale by the Structural Racism on Housing Market in Leuven. So this article is as well a translated version from the Vito website and is very similar to what the spotlight was for The Voice. So Vito, the Dutch version for The Voice, sent 20 emails to the same landlords, alternating as first or second with two different names. One was Willem John, that sounds a bit more Belgium, and the other one was Akmat. And at the end, the replies were kind of different. So Willem Jan received 14 replies, while Akmat only 11. And you'd be like, okay, 14 to 11 is not such a big difference. But the difference came from the content on those replies as they really differed based on the sender. We can mention some things about the stereotyping here, that the emails that were sent by the supposedly named Willem Jan, uh, they got like very good responses saying like, yeah, sure, we have availability of 11 different cuts here, while the one for Ahmed was only like four emails and they were trying to make it sound politically correct, like we're trying to look for people with Belgian family or with Belgian relatives living nearby. So I don't know if you have something to comment on it, Anita. Um, yeah, I think it's quite uh, sad and also very weird, considered that Leuven has been, I mean, people living in Leuven have been used to having uh, international students since decades or centuries, I would also say, maybe just Europeans, but, um, but still not from the like the area or Belgium. So I, it's it's very sad and I would have imagined uh, like people to be more open-minded about it, but apparently it's still very rooted in in people's mindsets, this racism, structural racism, that's, that's a good way of defining it. Yes, exactly. And funnily enough, the, this person that wrote the article discusses as well the stereotyping. And he mentions an example that is funny, that it's basically Spaniards who would party too much. So people coming from Spain and... Do you agree? <laughs> uh, I tend to agree that usually people coming from Spain or Latin America or even Italy, they tend to party a lot, but it's more because it's part of our culture rather than being something bad. And sometimes it's well the meaning that you give to partying. Partying is not really just to be noisy, but we like to have gatherings with our friends, with our family, something normal in our culture. Yeah, I agree. So I think it's more than a stereotyping, it's more like identifying what the, the cultural differences are, basically. And well, that was a bit ex 
I extended myself a bit too much with the second article, but I think we are ready for the news section. Yes, we are. Please bring it on. The first one is coronavirus in Leuven sewers shows city is now red all over. So I know it sounds like a bit of bad news, but it's not really. So what happens is that since the end of July, the city started a pilot project in which they took different samples of sewer water and tested for coronavirus. For these past weeks, they've been following this project and they've seen that there are so many regions in Leuven that are exposed to this virus. So at first sight, you would be expecting, okay, that's really bad. There are a lot of people being sick right now. But it's not that true, because this is not just a matter of identifying how many people have actually symptoms or are symptomatic, but it's just a matter of addressing which places, well, where you should be more careful in living and as well, what are the chances of you getting corona in these places. But it's nothing to be afraid of. Of course, we are now moving to code orange and that's our second news article. So the second news article is code orange on all K-Living campuses as of Monday. At first sight, I was really annoyed because I saw, okay, Code Orange will have to follow all of our courses, all of our labs online once again. But to be honest, nothing has changed for me personally. Everything is the same so far. How's it for you, Anita? Um, yeah, me too. Uh, I just hear a lot of worrying um, talks about new measures, which kind of concern me a lot. But actually today, I think if I'm not mistaken, they will um, broadcast or announce new measures. I don't know if uh, I haven't been looking at the news today, but I think they will announce. So I'm just worrying, worried that we will have stricter measure in Leuven as well, but hopefully it doesn't get as bad as Brussels. I don't know. Uh, well, we'll see. Anyhow, for now, everything is, it's, it's nice. I mean, it's just normal compared to many other places. So I still feel quite uh, blessed to, to be in Leuven, which is kind of a bubble. Yes, exactly. And, and the rector mentioned it as well, because many people were afraid of it because they were, oh, no, we're going back to lockdown. So they were panicking. But the rector said that he would not take the same approach that they took in the University of Ghent, because in Ghent University, they moved it to red coat. So they're not allowed to be on campus. Yeah, I read that. That must not be the experience. Yeah. But anyways, what is the next news you have for, for us? Yep. So now we are ready for the happy news, kind of. I don't know if I would classify it 100% happy, but it's called Disney updates content warning for racism in classic films. So we all know that Disney Plus is the new Netflix. And personally, I don't find that many interesting shows in it yet, but hopefully one day. I don't know if you've tried it. Anita? Uh, Netflix? And uh, Disney Plus. Uh, no, I no, I haven't. I haven't. I am just uh, an oldie. I mean, I just know I, I was watching, um, how do you call them, VHS when I was <laughs> younger from Disney movies and that's it. So I've never been like upgrading uh, or yeah, I've never tried Disney Plus. What do you what do you think about it? At first sight, I like it because you can see the classics, so you wouldn't have to go through your drawers and finding the VHS, I think I recall, yeah, or the CDs. Yeah, yeah and by the way, just a fun story. I mean, the, the punishment that my parents would always give me if I was, I was uh, just, I don't know, doing something bad, they would just close, the, lock those drawers <laughs> and I could not access, have access to them. So that was like the most frustrating and sad part of my day and I just had to behave. Uh, for, for me, the anecdote that I have like that is when I was a very small kid, I had the VHS for Spider-Man 2, the one yeah. with Tobey Maguire, but I was in kindergarten and another kid stole it from me. Oh. <laughs> And I'll never forget that VHS because it was the only VHS that I had. The rest was just CDs. So I was really proud of having it. And at the end, it just disappeared. And I never got it back. So, oh, okay. so going back to the news article, basically, it's just that you know that since last year, they started putting in some of the classics, some announcements like, OK, these movies represent something that was made in the past and they did not consider the cultural diversity. But now they've changed it to something way more formal. So now, basically, what they are saying is that mistreatment of people or culture may be included in negative depictions. So basically, it's a stronger remark. But personally, I think that it's a waste of time to do it because someone who's watching it should have the maturity to know that it, we're different times. And let's be honest, if you're putting a small kid to watch these movies, they will not read the adversary message at the beginning of it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. It's it's the it's the product of its time as everything. But I can also understand that now we're being more that there is more awareness of what what is being said. And if that's 
ethically correct and I, I also understand why they would uh, raise this discussion you know so yeah it's relevant news piece of news thanks for, for bringing that up a uh, pleasure <laughs> and would you do the honors of introducing the next song then yes this is Shan Shan by Buena Vista Social Club ready for um, introducing I'm now ready for to introduce our guest um, who came all the way from Ghent to meet us so hello Harry Hi, and Anita. thanks for coming how are you doing not bad thanks excited <laughs> first, to be here yeah first time at the radio I yeah, gather right first time on any radio so yeah <laughs> pretty excited to it. welcome welcome um, so yeah I would just 
ask you to introduce yourself very quickly for me because we didn't get an, much chance to to talk and also to our listeners of course tell me a bit about yourself and uh, yeah just uh, who you are and also since because I should probably also uh, tell our listeners that you're actually here as a spokesperson for Katapa so yeah I should mention Katapa as well so please yeah just tell us a bit about uh, since when you have part of it and Yeah, sure. by yourself. Yeah, uh, so I'm like a geographer by uh, training and study. And um, when I graduated university, um, I was like very interested in environmental issues, um, really got like a passion for learning and understanding the world we live in and particularly the environmental and ecological and social impacts of uh, different processes and industries in the world and especially with Latin America. So I discovered uh, actually this year, um, Catapa were looking for um, a communications officer. So I applied and then I wasn't really expecting too much. And now I'm communications officer for Catapa. And yeah, I nice. moved here like a month and a half ago. So Wow, pretty exciting. Yeah. Huh? Okay, that's nice. Well, welcome. Uh, I can also tell you a bit about how I found out about Catapa, actually. Because mm -hmm. uh, when you said you're interested in environmental issues, of course, that makes two of us and that's why also I really wanted Katapa to, to be here and I mean you to be here um, so I was taking a, a, a um, geography class as well and then I was just going to my lecture expecting to have the usual professor giving us a lecture and then I just get there and there's two young people just like us and they're setting up the presentation PowerPoint presentation and turns out it was two volunteers from Katapa and they gave this very interesting um, presentation about um, labor labor um, exploitation in in Hong Kong I'm mean, not Hong Kong sorry China in general uh, in industries that um, just uh, produce um, pieces or parts of the phone phones so it was all about yeah labor labor conditions in China and it was very very interesting and I was like okay uh, this is really a cool organization they mentioned that they did so many initiatives so that's how I got to know Katapa and I was hoping that for those who don't know much about it you could make maybe um, tell, tell a bit about the visions and mission of Katapa? Yeah, for sure. Um, so uh, Katapa has, does a lot of things. We're a really small organization. Um, but at its heart, Katapa, I would say, is like um, a volunteer movement. Um, and Katapa as an organization really strives uh, for a world in which the extraction of non-renewable resources is uh, no longer necessary. Um, So a few things they do is uh, they support local communities in Ecuador, Bolivia, Peru and Colombia uh, who are threatened by large scale mining projects. So a lot of the focus of the work is on the impacts of mining. Um, and also in Belgium, we carry out educational and awareness raising events like the one you went to, Anita. Um, and yeah, and we take on these topics and actively look for alternatives to our current destructive way of producing and consuming. Uh, metals, particularly in Europe, because we link the responsibility of European nations and the impacts we have in um, Latin America. I see. Okay. So uh, from our experience so far, um, do you think or do you notice that the awareness is high? What, what is the level of awareness here in, in, in Belgium about these topics? I mean, uh, the responsiveness of people to, to these uh, awareness campaigns and stuff? Yeah, um, I think in Belgium, and it's the true in a lot of, I would say, coming from the UK myself, this is like the true story in the UK as well. Like a lot of people or the general public uh, aren't necessarily aware of the impacts of big scale mining and how that links to their everyday lives. Um, and when we hear of mining, uh, we often think about maybe shaft mining underground in like a tunnel, no with a pickaxe yeah, and yeah. really working hard like they did, you know, a hundred years ago in, in the UK and in Europe. Um, but actually, there's a lot more to mining than that, particularly in the modern era. Um, so we often work on the big impacts of mining with corp big corporations doing it. So open pit mining, these massive craters in the ground, often in the middle of pristine habitats, particularly like in Latin America. And uh, we work with local communities there and talk about the health impacts of that in the local communities, the destruction of the ecology 
and what that means for the earth as a global ecosystem and linking it to climate change as well. So by um, local communities, you mean uh, people living around those uh, pits, those open... Exactly, yeah. And also, we often see the impacts a lot further downstream as well. So particularly with like water pollution, you might have a, a big open pit that's causing water pollution, but it's also impacting communities hundreds of miles further down the river. Of course. Yeah, um, yeah and we also uh, work a lot on issues of ICT and electronics because we all have a smartphone. We're all very in tune digitally, right? I, I think it's hard to know someone who doesn't have some sort of digital device in their life yeah, at the moment. Impossible, I would say. Yeah. Um, so we're very interested in working on supply chain issues um, and improving those supply chain conditions. So thinking about what you went to and about workers' rights, that comes after the process of mining, but they're very interlinked. So we're thinking, of course. we're thinking then about how can we improve conditions for workers in the production stage because they get exposed to the same similar toxic materials that people get exposed to in the mining stage as well. Yeah, and our devices, something really interesting that I learned um, yeah, last year is that like our phones contain so many metals, like very pre precious metals. And so it's also, well, that's also linked to uh, regeneration of products as, as a whole other topic. But the, the social aspect is also very interesting, I find. And uh, and it's related to mining because of all the minerals that are just in, in our hands For every sure. day and we don't even know sometimes so so yeah that, that was really interesting to to learn about and um yeah so what do you think if you could say in a few words uh it's it's important to to shed light on on these issues even here you know uh, in europe and although you're working mostly in south america why the question is why it's important to yeah to shed light on these issues mm -hmm. around mining in general because it's it sounds a bit far from our mm -hmm. daily life somehow and that's why i would i would ask you like how can you can we feel more involved in in this like in like just yeah why is it important on your opinion huh? because yeah. what what got you interested in it uh for sure so um there's i don't know if you actually saw it but we have like a really interesting like infographic leaflet Mm. And um, it splits like the stages of mining into three parts. So it's important to think about ourselves, but it's also to, important to think about how we often impact communities in like the global south or less well-off nations with our actions and consumption and economic patterns here in the global north, in wealthier nations. Um, yeah. So it often starts with the big pit mining. So, for example, in Bolivia, and there's 60 different... Um, minerals that are needed for your phone that's 60, crazy more often more than that but we have to mine them from somewhere and then this devastates local communities so maybe families go to work in the pit mine but they also lose their lose their livelihoods at the same time there's health impacts um the future for future generations what happens when the mine's finished and this degraded areas left and the corporations have taken all the wealth back to the europe and yeah. what's left for the local people. Yeah. And then after that, it goes to the production uh, side of things and it's thinking about workers' rights, thinking about, okay, the exploitation in the supply chain and we're benefiting from this culture of consuming products continually, ever-growing. We have to have the new next best thing every year, every year. But that links part of this back to the economy of um, infinite growth on a finite planet, right? <laughs> Yeah, I can totally... <laughs> and then we go on the infographic to like the third section and we're looking then at a man in um, in Africa and he is working to make a living on the dumps of toxic e-waste that comes from this culture and system, economic system of unlimited consumption and economic growth. So we often ship off then all this toxic waste to countries back in the global south and they have to deal with that and their communities also have to deal with the health impacts of that yeah. um, so it's often important to almost center ourselves in terms of what our economic systems doing right um, rather than we're impacting other people as a collective here yeah in Europe. Yeah. And it's very interesting to me and to you, I imagine, as a geographer, to think about the fact that we're mentioning places 
all around the world, so far from each other, but then it, we, it all comes, uh, it's all interconnected, right? Absolutely. And we, if we, we realize that, that's just like mind blowing. It's like, okay, this thing that I'm holding in my hand has actually been through so many, I mean, been in so many countries and each country has, I mean, each person in each country has, has somehow um, contributed to mm -hmm. it. So yeah, I think I agree that it's super important to Yeah, we definitely live on like a, a shared planet and like we can imagine how like the health of the Amazon rainforest also requires the health of the local people to be looked after and in return the conservation of the Amazon and like the preservation of the community's health there is really vital for our health here in the global north because these are like the lungs of the planet, right? So they're providing the oxygen, creating the weather systems that bring rain to us in Europe over the Atlantic. The green gold, exactly. the, yeah, the golden green. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's super, super interesting talk and super interesting topics. Um, I will just stop you right there for a short song break. Um, we are going to play Makaba by Jane. We are back to the voice on radio. 
uh, we're having a very interesting conversation with Harry about uh, the organization Katapa. And um, I just wanted to, to expand a bit more as well on the history of the organization, if you, if you can just tell us a bit about it. And also more specifically, I would ask you uh, why this focus on South America in particular, and mostly to, to also discuss this with our Colombian here at the, at the studio, Nicholas. <laughs> it would be a pleasure. Sweet, yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, uh, the history of how Catapa came about was uh, the founding person, I guess, um, Gilberto Powells. He was an anthropologist uh, working with indigenous communities in Bolivia. And um, yeah, he went over there um, to do his master's thesis in Uruguay, and he started working with an organization called um, SEPA. And uh, there he met other people from Peru and started working with them. And before you knew it, it sort of just snowballed into this organization called Catapa. And it's actually the 15-year anniversary of the organization. Oh, wow. In uh, uh, Happy birthday, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and if I can ask why Catapa, what does that mean? Uh, yeah, for sure. Uh, I had to double-check this before because it's a long, okay. quite a long name. Uh, so, yeah, Catapa, um, basically, it stands for uh, the Technical Academic Committee for assistance in environmental issues. So that's oh, the English wow. translation of it. Okay, okay. Yeah. So it's a very long name, but everyone just calls it Catapa for short. Okay. Otherwise, we'd be wasting a lot of breath <laughs> using yeah. that name. Yeah, it sounds really nice. Uh, yeah, so they went on uh, to work with organizations in Peru. Um, and then they also did some work in Central America, uh, but moved back down to um, South America because they really focus on grassroots communities. So. Often we work in partnership with communities, supporting them. They often come to us um, asking for support. And then we try and link them up with our networks in Europe um, and then support them with different events, but also publications over here in Europe. And we also have like a research uh, program. Uh, yeah, we actually send um, researchers over there as well. Um, we have like a gecko program. So uh you can apply for that. Uh, we're not sure with COVID-19 at the moment, <laughs> but normally you can apply and you can get like a bursary to go and live over in um, South America with a specific partner organization and work for them. Nice. And I might consider it, honestly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, we've actually got a really interesting event coming up um, called Thesis for Bolivia. And it's for people who are looking at doing their dissertation theses. And um, it's basically to, it's an evening of uh, research investigations being reported and also an opportunity for students who are thinking about maybe doing a thesis linked to Bolivia to have a Q&A with researchers who have already done it, students and master students and also separate researchers, and to consider would they like to do um, a thesis and CATAPA could also support them doing that as well. Should be really cool impact for your nice. dissertation thesis. That's really cool. So many initiatives. Mm. Um, yeah, so I want to also um, ask Nicholas a bit about, since he's quite directly implied somehow as a Colombian in, in the South America reality, um, if you can pitch in with any comments about uh, mining in Colombia or any thoughts about this, this situation. Yes, sure. Um, in the first place, I wanted to comment something on the thesis research that you were mentioning that... I think it will be very, well, it will work quite well with K11 because K11 has right now like different opportunities with scholarships for students to go and do research in the South countries. And basically those countries refer either to some African lands or to Latin American lands. And many people are actually considering doing that and specifically for these kind of issues, which are like really essential and important for us as communities or as Latin Americans. So you find favorable, um, how do you say, terrain here in uh, KU yeah, and I think. exactly. For sure. Yeah. Nice. That sounds really awesome. Yeah, indeed. And they have very exciting projects. And more like in mind, uh, well, my little Latin American Intel, even though I've been here for almost three years now, is that it, it is a really important issue in Latin America. And for instance, personally in Colombia, it's part of Colombia's history. The, all the problem of mining and Colombia has been shaped due to mining issues and it is doing so right now as well with a country with the, with the neighbor countries such as um, Venezuela and Brazil. So I don't know what is your your opinion regarding for instance informal mining because we know that mining in Latin America the 
biggest problem is not only like big companies from US coming to our countries, but it's as well like people that try to find a living doing it illegally. So what is your intake on this? Yeah, there was actually um, a really interesting report that just got released um, by the WRI. And um, they were looking at the Amazon region, which includes the uh, Colombian Amazon. And um, yeah, I think they found that almost 80% of indigenous people's territories were impacted by illegal mining activities. And these have actually increased um, during the pandemic because obviously we've seen a collapse in the job market and other types of informal economy. Uh, so people have been looking for work and because of the at least the strong gold price and i think it's increased a bit since the pandemic because everyone wants to invest in gold obviously that's driven the illegal mining for gold in the amazon then yeah and as well politically it's been an issue because as you are mentioning with the amazon is basically a shared territory between venezuela and colombia and brazil and then first of all you have in venezuela no government at all so they're not taking any measures on this topic. Then you have in Colombia a government that is more or less to the right, but is ignoring the issue of mining. And they've having wanted to process the different projects in the parliament, in the Colombian parliament. And then you have in Brazil this crazy guy, Bolsonaro, just saying, OK, you can go ahead and mine in these regions. We don't care about the indigenous people as long as we're getting money. So it's really a sensible topic politically as well, because one thing is the approach that, of course, the US movement can achieve. But as well, governments can just have their intake, okay, no, we are not going to accept any of these movements. You can help the communities, but we will not regulate it legally. So I, I wanted to ask you if you know a little bit this in the, well, in the terms of the communication department in Catapa, how do you approach these political issues that may arise? Mm, so Catapa often works on um, large-scale mining projects and then small-scale or illegal mining, also called artisanal mining. Um, we don't normally focus on uh, so much because we're only a small organization but we actually had a webinar series really recently um, and they had a whole webinar discussing uh, artisanal mining and it was really interesting to hear because um, often for these communities artisanal mining um, or yeah artisanal mining is normally legal so there's a difference as well so they can get permits to mine but they're not like a corporation or anything uh, you just get the rights to mine the territories. Uh, but in terms of the politics of it, yeah, it's a really fragile situation. And we also are aware of the influence of corporations on um, governments in terms of relaxing and lobbying for the relaxation of laws. Um, so just like we think about the deforestation of the Amazon and maybe Bolsonaro, because the agriculture industry, we can also think similarly the same sort of links and connections are going on with the mining industry as well then because it suits certain people for mining to be allowed to take place right because someone's going to be getting that gold for a cheaper price than normally yeah that's that's super interesting actually um but if i can ask you a bit more about like your direct experience maybe you worked on some project or on one geographical area in particular uh, that you'd like to share a bit about not not sure it's Colombia because you would have probably said that by now. <laughs> yeah. Um, so while I was at university, um, I did a lot of uh, study on the Amazon region and I actually did my dissertation on um, the Peruvian Amazon. So it was to do with extractivism, but it wasn't actually about mining. It was to do with um, fossil fuel extraction. So I was looking without going to Peru using data sets and looking at where indigenous territories were. And if we prevented and or stopped fossil fuel extraction of oil and gas, how much carbon that would actually keep from being emitted and how much impact that would have in terms of the national um, contributions of that country's carbon emissions to global warming. And I um, imagine that's a big number. Yeah, it was a, a really big number. You have to forgive me because I can't actually remember because it was a few years ago, <laughs> the specifics. Um, but uh, at the moment, I'm currently supporting, um, we have different working groups in Catapa, so volunteers normally go to different working groups, so Colombia, Ecuador, Peru, Bolivia. So I'm uh, supporting the Peru working group, and um, there's actually some really uh, interesting cases going on at the moment. So there's an area called Cajamarca, and this has quite a lot of mines in it, which are really impacting the local communities. Um, so we're working with a partner organisation called Grafudis and um, there they're working with the local communities because basically we've seen these gold mines pop up and there's actually one community called El Tinto 
which has two gold mines either side of it. And it's right in the middle of these two gold mines. So you can imagine the health impacts, air pollution, everything. It's probably one of the worst places you can live. And they're not having the support they were agreed to have when the mining companies come there. There's been a lot of issues with pollution. Um, So, yeah, we're working on that. And if you keep your eyes peeled um, in the next bit of time, you'll probably see some more information coming out about those cases as well then. Yeah, of course, I will keep an eye on it, for sure. Um, okay, I, w- I have a one last question. It's very personal before we, we go to the next song, but I, I think it's worth asking you. Um, now that you work in this sector for a bit and now you have more knowledge, uh, do you see any um, advancement or improvements or any window of opportunity for things to get better for, for this sector of mining to to move towards more sustainable uh, models or you think it's still going to be profit driven and just like this extractivist philosophy that I mean just bring some optimism mm-hmm. please sure. uh, so there's definitely some like short term changes that like would really have a big impact on people's lives um, so uh, related to accidents that often happen with mining activities so there's um, something called tailing dams that exist And when uh, companies are mining, they often create massive artificial dams and they put behind these dams all the mining waste. But what we've seen, um, and Brazil's a really good example of this, is these dams have collapsed and created tsunamis of toxic um, mining waste, which have literally wiped out and killed hundreds of people in communities. Um, It's really devastating. Uh, There was one in 2015... And there was also another one in the same state, Minas Gerais, in Brazil, in 2019. And that one killed 270 people. Uh, and I think 11 out of that figure are still missing. They haven't recovered the bodies. Um, and these are systemic failures that the mine, mining industry is really responsible for. This isn't just one-off freak events. This is happening more than it should be happening. Um, so that's a really important thing that needs to change. Um, And then thinking longer term, like the medium to long term, working on um, fair ICT procurement. So that's like buying ICT from sustainable sources, um, but also thinking more about the economic system we're working with. So Caterpillar is really working in Belgium, thinking about alternative models. So the circular economy and also thinking of something they call in urban mining, which is There's all this e-waste, which I was talking about earlier, right? All this electronics. Every year, people are buying new phones. What happens to the other ones? These have 60 different minerals in them. That's a rare. We went all the effort of getting these 60 minerals out of the ground, and we're just throwing it away. Why don't we decide to actually reuse these and uh, repair them? And if we can't do that, okay, we'll recycle them and reuse them. So thinking about more of a circular economy model, but also degrowing our consumption because it's unsustainable. We're living in a, a finite planet and you can't have infinite growth on a finite planet. Yeah, that's a very, very intense phrase to end <laughs> this segment with. I, I, I agree completely. Uh, okay, so I'll introduce our next song, um, Redbone by Childish Gambino.
are back at The Voice. Um, so we are having a super interesting talk with Harry. There's so much to talk about, uh, but I just should, I feel like I should introduce a very interesting initiative by Katapa that I would uh, want to attend myself. And I think you're the best person who can tell us a bit about this. Uh, so I was just scrolling through Facebook and I saw this deep sea mining uh, webinar that is organized by Katapa um, uh, tomorrow afternoon. So I just wanted to ask you if you could give us a, a glimpse of the, the core topics uh, that will be dealt with and, uh, and of the speakers that are involved. Yeah, uh, so we're organizing a webinar tomorrow on deep sea mining. It's called Deep Sea Mining, How Belgium is Sinking to the Bottom. Um, and it's going to have speakers uh, from Greenpeace. We've got Anne Lambricks. Um, we've also got Sarah Venden uh, from WWF, and she's their Oceans Policy Officer there. And we've got Andom from Seas at Risk, and they're a really specific organization that focus on seas and on deep sea mining. So we've got some really great experts lined up to be discussing the topic, and it's a really hot topic at the moment. Um, the race to the ocean floor is in full swing in Belgium, and um, there's a Belgium has really got a pioneering role. Um, they've assigned rights, uh, well, they sponsored a company called um, GSR, DEMI, and this stands for Global Sea Mineral Resources. And um, thanks to the support of the Belgian government, they received a license um, for exploration in the Pacific Ocean uh, to mine in the deep sea. And the area is actually five times the size of Belgium. So we are talking in a massive scale of mining. Um, and just to talk about the value of the deep sea, the deep sea is 70% of the Earth's surface area. And the deep sea is classified as anything under 200 meters. And this makes up 90% of that area. So it's the biggest biome in the whole world, uh, the deep sea. And it's really rich in biodiversity, but also really important um, for how the planet functions. So the seas are our biggest carbon store. Every year they absorb 2.7 gigatons of carbon dioxide. That's more than any man-made uh, machine can absorb. So they're vital to buffering that. Also, we have like bacteria mats that live in the deep sea. And these are where the microbial life is responsible for these chemical processes um, which absorb carbon. Um, and yeah, the seas are really under risk at the moment from overfishing, pollution, which creates dead zones, plastic soup in the sea of all our plastic yeah. pollution. So and now we've got too. mining coming on yeah. uh, and it's not looking good. So we're going to find out all about it because not many people know much about it. So if you come to the webinar tomorrow, you're going to hear from three of the best experts in Belgium on what we can do about it and if we can still stop it as well. I can't wait. Yeah, definitely. Come in. Come in. I will register because uh, you mentioned that you have to register for it, right? So, yeah, that's uh, it. So if you go on uh, the Catapa Facebook page or website and then you can register and uh, yeah, we'll send you a link for it tomorrow. Perfect. All right. Okay. Well, I think we have to wrap it up now. Uh, but just thank you again for being here. It was really a pleasure and super interesting to learn more, more about these very sensitive topics. And I'm happy that every, to share it with everyone. Um, and so, yeah, thanks again. And I hope to see you soon. And I hope the webinar is successful and you can and your job at Catapa is also Thanks successful. for inviting me, Anita. It was lovely to chat with you all. <laughs> And uh, for our listeners, again, I just invite to check our website, uh, thevoiceleuven.be, Facebook and Instagram page, and to stay tuned for, for this episode and the past episodes to be um, yeah, streamed on Spotify, on The Voice, on Radio, exclamation point. Uh, and thanks, Nicholas, for being here. I will see you next week. It is a pleasure. And uh, we'll go on with the last song, Bonito by Jarabe de Palo. Bonito, todo me parece bonito Bonita mañana, bonito lugar Bonita la cama, que bien se ve el mar Bonito es el día, que acaba de empezar Bonita la vida, respira, respira, respira mi teléfono suena, mi pana se queja, la cosa va mal, la vida le pesa que vivir así ya no le interesa que seguirá si no vale la pena, se perdió.
medio el amor se acabó la fiesta ya no anda el motor que empuja la tierra la vida es un chiste con triste final el futuro no existe pero yo le digo bonito todo me parece bonito bonito todo me parece bonito bonita la paz bonita la vida bonito volver a nacer cada día bonita la verdad no suena mentira bonita la amistad bonita la risa bonita la gente cuando hay calidad bonita la gente que no se arrepiente que gana y que pierde que habla y no miente bonita la gente por eso yo digo bonito todo me parece bonito bonito Bonita la gente que es diferente, que tiembla, que siente, que vive el presente, bonita la gente. 